Good day to our listeners here at The Middle Podcast. My name is Jim Nelson. I've been absent for the last couple of weeks as our church moved back into the book of Mark, so I'm playing a little bit of catch-up here, but I have returned and I will host you for the next 15 minutes or so as we talk through Pastor Drew's sermon this past Sunday. And as always, this production is a digital ministry of Living Word Church in Oak Harbor, Washington. Thank you so much for finding this program and listening today. And as a matter of fact, we've had some new listeners I wanted everybody to be aware of. We have some international listeners. They've been finding our program, and we are happy for that. In addition to uh, some who have tuned in from Ghana, Bahrain, the UK, and Ireland, recently we had an audience uh, from Mexico, Australia, and El Salvador. Really exciting. It's great to have you. And if you listen on the Anchor app, please leave us a message and let us know that you how you came to discover the middle podcast. That'd be so cool to hear your voices. If you're newer to our podcast, we operate on the premise that the further we get away from Sunday during the week, the more the message and the practical application of that message is forced into the back of our minds, and in some cases, just plain forgotten. There is a disturbing uh, story early in the book of Joshua where the ancient Israelite community, they, they victoriously crossed the Jordan River and they get up on the west bank of the river and are commanded to build an altar of rocks from the bed of the river. And the whole purpose of it is to remind themselves and for them to pass along following to the following generations of how God kept his promise uh, to, to get them to the promised land. Well, if you read on to, into Joshua, one generation later, they stopped telling the story and no one knew the meaning of the pile of the rocks anymore. Hopefully you remember that story. It's kind of scary that if we stop telling the story, it quickly is forgotten. That's kind of like our weeks and the further away we get from Sunday, it's easier for us, the busyness of our world and the culture to diminish the message, to lessen the message and its application on our lives. I get it. And it happens to me more often than I like to admit. So with that in mind, let's get into the New Testament book of Mark. Here's my first observation on why Mark's gospel should appeal to every one of us. It's perfect for an action-obsessed culture. Out of all the gospels, this one has the most busy and quick-hitting short stories of Jesus in action. Just take a look at the bold-faced titles. The baptism, the temptation, the calling of the disciples, the driving out of evil spirit, the multiple healings, the lepers, the paralytics, even the teachings of chapter 3 and 4 on the move, right? Drew noted in week 1 that immediately and at once, those words, those two phrases and word, I guess you could say, immediately and at once, are Mark's favorite transition words, giving us this picture of Jesus constantly on the move and most importantly, constantly playing the part of servant during work and constantly in action. Sound familiar and maybe a bit appealing to you? I bet it does. It should. We should all just dive into this story and feel right at home regardless of our age. And why? We absolutely love these kinds of stories. Think about the biggest, most successful movie franchises in the last 60 years that we've all, regardless of the generation, right, have just flocked to. Every one of us has attached ourselves to this kind of narrative. And I'll give you some examples. Ever heard of James Bond? 26 action movies and counting. 
How about my generation of Gen Xers? Well, we had five diehards, four Indiana Jones, five Terminators, and oh my gosh, don't forget, eight Rockies and five Rambos. And it didn't stop there. The action flips just kept coming into the new century for the younger millennials and Gen Z movie crowd. We had Jason Bourne series, Tom Cruise still producing six Mission Impossible movies, and many, many, almost countless superhero action flicks, the Marvel Universe, Batman and the Dark Knight series, Superman, the Hunger Games series. Um, Hopefully you get my point. We eat up this kind of story. And isn't that what Mark is describing in his book? Action. The story is long on what Jesus is doing and short on the conversation and relational aspects of it. It's there for sure, but not the focus. And why? First off, let me just say, I realize this is not a first-person Mark story, but I'll continue to call it Mark's gospel, obviously. None of the research that I read thought that Mark was the author. The consensus is that Peter narrated the story and Mark recorded it. And that's good information to know, but why the literary rush through the stories? I want to look into this a little bit more. First off, why it goes so fast, why it's so choppy, why it just moves from one scene to the next. There is really no attempt to convince or cajole the reader as to who Jesus is. It just says, in the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Sounds pretty much like the story should start, but really there's something very remarkable and definitive about this introduction, and it's the objects of it. Maybe it's the predicates, I'm not sure, Um, But it's either the objects or the predicates of the good news. But the good news is broken down into three significant truths that lead us, about Jesus Christ, that lead us into the rest of the story. First off, the good news is of Jesus. You know, a man, a guy who walked this earth. He was born. He had a job. He had brothers and sisters. He walked through life as we walk through life. He was a real person. It's about Jesus. But it's also good news of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. Not only has Jesus come as a real person, but that person is the Redeemer who will claim back all of creation to God. And then finally, the Son of God title, perhaps a foreshadowing of a very well-known verse, uh, John 3.16, a unique Son of God with a very specific role and purpose. And a couple of things are being connected right in those first three verses itself of Mark. By looking at the word gospel and the quotation from the Old Testament book of uh, Malachi and Isaiah. First off, the choice of the word gospel. And it's, as Drew mentioned this past weekend, it's euangelion in the Greek. Now, this is simply much more than just quote-unquote good news. It's not like Good news, you got a discount on your car insurance, or good news, the Broncos won the Super Bowl. No, this is national, grand, royal good news, or in Jesus' case, this is kingdom good news. According to William Lane, who wrote a very much respected commentary on the book of Mark, the first connection would be aimed at the Romans and all of the ancient community outside of the Jewish culture. To this group of people, the use of the word gospel would connect their culture to this story. Lane goes on to emphasize that the Greek word of gospel, euangelion, 
clarifies the essential content of this kind of good news in the ancient world, a historical event which introduces a new situation for mankind. Now, isn't that exactly what we find going on in the book of Mark and the other three epistles? A real, tangible, historical event is happening which will change the course of the entire world, all of the created order. Now, earlier I said there were two parts to this introduction that are linked together. The Gentiles, the pagans, the polytheists, and the non-Jews should be attracted to the writing of Mark simply by this good news aspect of it. So what's the other connection? Verse 2 tells us this part of the audience. It is written. So not only is this a story for the non-Jews, it is also a vital message. Think about how well just these three verses of the book are cleverly put together to let every person in the world, literally every person in the world, know that this is a part of their story or could be a part of their story. So I've said this mark is an appeal to an active and busy parts of our lives. I'll amend it to say a bit more, I guess, that not only is it an action movie, but it also has an, this element that pulls my heart into the story by being incredibly personal and attractional. In other words, and hopefully to clarify this point, I don't see myself fighting terrorists barefoot in a skyscraper or tracking down the Terminator, but I can picture myself as a witness to the story in Mark. It all kind of pulls me in. All right, we will not get caught up to chapter 5 today where Drew is, but I do want to spend some time in chapter 1 before we move on to the future weeks. Let's spend the rest of our time looking at this prophecy from Isaiah because it is fascinating. I'll just quickly read through it and then offer some commentary. It's, a, it's officially Isaiah 43, and, or 40 verse 3, and prophesizes the end of the ancient Israelites' exile, decades of oppression and brutality under foreign evil kingdoms. It simply just says this, A voice of one calling in the desert, Make straight the way of God, prepare for our God a highway in the desert. What pops in my head when I read through this is the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. Ever read up on that? It's an amazing feat of hard work and perseverance in the history of this country. Excellent uh, read. But I first saw the effort put into this engineering feat in a TV series called Hell on Wheels. Yeah, I know the title is a little bit harsh, but just to clear that up, that was a mobile, the mobile town that kind of followed the progress of the railroad workers as they dug and cut a rail line both from the east and the west. These little mobile towns that moved along the rails, the completed rails behind them. It was a great show, but at the same time I was reading through James Ambrose's Nothing Like It in the World, which covered the same content, but in more of a historical account fascinating, both of them. I had no idea what it took to lay a rail line or to put in our context today, a highway through a desert, okay? So much goes into the building of a rail line and none of it is easy. There's the expense, there's the backbreaking work, there's the obstacles. Think about this from east, from the east, this railroad started by traversing major riverbeds outside of Omaha or that Omaha was built upon. And then, of course, the associated wetlands from that and into sometimes flat and sometimes rolling hills of the Midwest. 
starting up the long, slow climb to the Rocky Mountains, and then once you get there, that steepness and unpredictable nature of two formidable mountain ranges. In Ambrose's book, he told that sometimes the rock was so thick and so hard that ordinary TNT wasn't getting the job done, and they had to switch to the highly volatile and much more powerful nitroglycerin. All of this with the expectation that the highway would be as straight as possible. That was it for economic reasons, right? The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? So it's, they want that railroad to be as straight as possible. And the engineering part of it, the preparing and the grading in a way that the, a heavy overloaded train could still make progress toward its destination. Oh, yeah. And, and they faced opposition along the way. It wasn't a peaceful little rail project, but one with threats all along the way, some human-made and some natural that would keep them from their goal. Now, this is such a useful word for, picture for me because it reflects the process of the Holy Spirit and the work that must be done in my own heart in order for the Lord's work to take hold of it. Doesn't that sound a lot like your story, too? First off, I just want to acknowledge the engineering aspect of it. There is no way I'm sitting here right now speaking to you on the topics that we address at the Middle Podcast without the engineer doing some major, major work. I'm sure at first glance, the engineer saw that my heart was full of deep canyons, wide, swift-moving rivers, obstacles like pride and selfishness, and seemingly impenetrable walls of steep granite, right? That hard, rocky heart. In my mind, it quite honestly, it just seems like an impossible project to even undertake. But luckily, Jesus doesn't look at it this way. Yeah, it'll take moving some priorities around to level the base, right? For sure. It'll take some patience to get the right grade and allow for the low spots to be filled in while trimming down the, and cutting back some of those higher peaks. And I have to acknowledge, considering the hardness of the human heart, that there is the possibility of some violent and destructive explosions required to smooth and grade a heart and make it ready to serve the kingdom. And finally, every new road or highway gets a name, right? We live on Putnam Drive. The Transcontinental Railroad was originally called the Pacific Railroad. And I think the God-engineered highway we are all on should be named something like Repentance Road. And what gives me that idea? Because that's the focus of this verse from Isaiah. And that was the focus of John the Baptist's ministry. It was the message of Jesus from the early days of his public ministry. Repent. He spoke this command to all who would listen. Turn away from the way that you're going and toward the ways of God. It was a call for radical change inward toward God and toward mankind. And the message didn't change after Jesus ascended into heaven as thousands of people asked Peter, what must we do to pursue this Messiah's teachings? Repent and believe was Peter's answer. All right, I'm hopeful this was a useful time of some minutes in, in your journey of faith. Thank you for listening. We'll hopefully see you back next week at the Middle Podcast as we continue to dive into Mark and his gospel account. God bless you all. See you again next week.